0: You are listening to The Soapbox, a show about all things speech and debate. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, and anchor.fm slash thesoapboxpod. Thank you for joining us today. We are glad you're here. When you have been coaching a while, you start to develop anecdotes about past successes and past failures To work with your current students and one of my favorite stories ever relates to today's guest aaron bush the year was 2011 it was the national qualifying tournament the winner of this tournament would represent the state at the national tournament considered to be the pinnacle of debate success by most people the debate tournament is a double elimination style meaning if you lose two rounds you're out so the field keeps shrinking and shrinking until there is only one or two debaters left. Erin Bush, in her senior year with the one goal of national qualification, loses the very first round of the tournament. She's devastated. What are her chances now? But after a quick pep talk with me, she bounces back and goes on to win six debates in a row in a period of two days. That six-in-one record is enough to qualify Erin to nationals in Lincoln-Douglas debate. And To this day, coaches from around the state still refer to Aaron's amazing comeback. How is it possible to respond to a loss and come out on the other side? What better life lesson could there be? Welcome to the Soapbox. Now, the global reach of speech and debate is fairly phenomenal. There are debate chapters all over the world, and many of my students have competed against them. We face teams from China, Singapore, Slovenia. And that opportunity to meet students from all over the world has to be one of the top things I love about this activity. That international perspective is definitely evident in my guest today, who lives abroad. After internships with the State Department living in Istanbul for three years, Erin Bush is currently living in Paris, where she is finishing a master's degree in public health. I sat down and caught up with her. Even though she speaks five different languages, we just settled on English for today's interview. I hope you enjoy. And we're here with Aaron Bush. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Trey. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks for having me. It's
0: good to see you. Yeah. And hear you.
1: <laughs> and hear me. We were just talking about how
0: we don't like to hear the sound of our own voice on these podcasts.
1: I will probably never listen to this. Okay.
0: <laughs> but all your fans are going to listen to I, it, for I will, sure.
1: I will listen to every single one except this one. Got
0: it. <laughs> got it. Aaron Bush, tell us what you're up to. You're in town, but you don't live here right now.
1: No, Where I don't at? live here right now. Where are I you? I am living in Paris. France um, or Texas? <laughs> you know, I wish for Texas, but all I got was France. Okay. And um, I'm living in Paris, France, and I'm going to school at Sciences Po. And I'm studying. Spell that. S- sciences, P O. And you say it sans... science. Sciences? It's supposed to be science politique. Okay. Political sciences. It's a big university out there. It feels very fancy. All the professors are fancy people. And then <laughs> I am just from Las Vegas, New Mexico, <laughs> hanging out in France. Oh, man. But I study um, human rights and global health. Human rights and global health. So you're getting a master's in that? I'm getting a master's in that. Um, I'm more interested in the global health. I would like my future job to be both global health and human rights related, so like sort of the intersection. I hope that I end up working with um, forced migration populations, so refugees, and developing health strategies for uh, location-insecure people.
0: Okay. So the past several years, you've been traveling a lot, learning some languages. Kind of tell us about that path.
1: After some random traveling, after some high school exchange and a little bit of college exchange, I ended up living, I think at this point, it's been a total of about three and a half years in Turkey. And I learned Turkish. And uh, for a while there, I was working with local NGOs mostly dealing with like housing insecurity and uh, unaccompanied refugee minors that have come from Syria a few from Iraq and other places and it was it was really great for me but I sort of needed a master's in order to engage with this in a little bit more of a professional capacity mm-hmm. so I started looking for master's degrees and that's how I ended up in Paris but I started getting interested in public health and disease and how things spread and, like, the need to contain them within um, vulnerable communities. Interesting. And So you're
0: not necessarily, like, into the science side of that, but more of, like, the Um, government response and, like, organizational side?
1: If I had the ability to do biology at all, I might be (laughs) a real epidemiologist. Right. But I'm not. So the best (laughs) I can hope for is, like, policymaker. There's a fair amount you can do even without knowing the exact biology like down to the smallest level of a disease I don't necessarily have to know about Ebola but I know ways that you can like effectively contain something like that Uh so the type of health I study a lot has to do with prevention like vaccine campaigns and also um, if outbreaks occur sort of containment and control and also gets into monitoring and evaluation and like health security systems which are kind of an odd thing interesting like monitoring systems and they call them security systems which sounds like it's for your house but it actually can just be like you whistleblowing on how much malaria there is so you know like what strategy you need to implement
0: right so currently you're living in paris but you've spent the past like three years in turkey more or less yeah Yeah. a little
1: bit of time in india that's right
0: do you have a favorite location so far
1: Oh, I think that when you determine favorite locations, you need to divide them between places I've lived versus places I've traveled. Okay. (laughs) Places I've lived, probably Istanbul. I, I do really like living in Istanbul. I think it's a great place to live. Why is that? It is perfectly cosmopolitan while still feeling like you are certainly not where you are from. It's not like Europe where you think, oh, that's kind of the same for me. It's just so different but it's also modern enough to where you don't feel like you're living in a box or any sort of cage, which was uh, sort of what ended up happening at a certain point in India uh-huh. for me. So Istanbul is my favorite place that I've ever lived. Favorite places I've ever visited. Maybe it's Montenegro, but there's it's a it's a tough there's tough a one on to whittle list. down. <laughs> sure. So
0: living in Paris, you live in a an apartment currently tiny, tiny,
1: 247 square feet. Man
0: that is that
1: is tiny pay a mortgage for it
0: (laughs) but do you have views of like the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe
1: I have a view of a garden I cannot access okay however I do not live on an eighth floor walk-up oh so we all make compromises nice I live on the ground floor it's actually a converted cellar so (laughs) it's a little Harry Potter but no it's it's great. I love my apartment, but I am real close to the Eiffel Tower, uh, real close to the the Seine, the river, and it's been a great it's been a great place to be. I'm grateful for my house and my friends, and um, having my own space has been kind of weird. It's the first time I've really lived 100% alone, no roommates. Oh, nice. Just a place to get your weird on all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like
0: you. So, our podcast we're talking about speech and debate, and you've taken on this journey that's taken you all over the world. Tell us how do you think, like make a big connection, like from speech and debate participation to where you are now, like how you are this world traveler, you've worked, you've kind of done internships with the state department, you're getting your master's in global health. Tell us how did that journey come about?
1: So I think the speech and debate, actually, it's weird to say, but it, it did have a lot to do with the direction that my life took. I think that a big part of it was In terms of East Mountain Speech and Debate, I was one of the originals. So the first year that there was a speech and debate program, I was a speech and debate competitor. I wasn't very good, but I don't think that that really mattered at that point because the biggest takeaway from the beginning was confidence building. And I certainly know that I would not be where I am right now in studying what I study had I not gone on exchange uh, in high school to Brazil and going on exchange took a lot of confidence, probably confidence that I didn't have, had it not been for speech and debate. And um, looking at it, like sort of as it rolls on, the opportunities that I've been given in terms of where I've been able to go and what I've been able to do have largely not been funded by the bank of me and have been through a series of scholarships and grants. And in order to get those things you need to be able to write a very convincing letter (laughs) as to why you are the right person for this. And it does tie back to confidence in terms of like knowing your value and knowing why you would be good at this, but also how to craft an idea and see it from start to finish. Like, I believe I am this. I have answered every part of that question that you've asked me and supported these reasons. And this is why I think that I deserve this. And so that really helped. I mean, I got scholarships for Turkey and India and all sorts of places, but I know that those were directly linked to my ability to sort of express myself in that way. And even though it's a written form and we think of speech and debate as something that you only say, a majority of speech and debate and a majority of what you spend your time doing is writing an argument that just sounds nice. And that is all done Uh, in terms of writing. In terms of my school now, I know that it's certainly helping. I watch other students give presentations, and I know that I can do it without being nervous and with a lot more confidence because I just know that it'll be okay. It's just another talk. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's something I definitely noticed in grad school, too. Like, there's all these people who are just terrified of giving presentations. And a lot of grad school, especially in, like, more liberal arts, humanities fields, that's all it is. It's, like, these presentations and papers.
1: Yeah. they. I mean, one of my professors was like, and if any of you would like to as a group host a class workshop instead of doing a final exam, you can do that. And I signed up immediately. Uh, But also I, I, I didn't need to be nervous. And I know that some of my other group mates were nervous and there was just no need. And especially when it comes to presenting an idea, speech and debate helps teach like how to make an idea clear to others and make it accessible, which I think is also one of the biggest takeaways in terms of what I hope to do with speech and debate in the future is Any idea that I communicate to people, especially vulnerable populations or large groups of people that I'm trying to convince to do something, it needs to be clear. It needs to have clear objectives, hopefully tangible results that can be seen, and I need to be able to express that to someone quickly and efficiently and in a way that's understandable for them. And I think that that was one of the benefits of speech and debate is I never knew who was judging and I didn't even get to pick my side most of the right. time, it was just randomly assigned. So I know how to talk about something and make it accessible for other people and that's just been of huge benefit. Nice,
0: well let's take it real OG. Do you remember first <laughs> getting involved in speech and debate? Like who talked to you, who recruited you, what happened?
1: I think, if I remember right, I was sitting in advocacy class, which is like sort of a homeroom thing that happened at East Mountain. And I was sitting in that class and there was an announcement on the intercom that said, by the way, we're hosting an informational meeting on speech and debate. So if anyone is interested in speech and debate, please come. And I thought, well, that could be kind of interesting. And we all sat in, and I think at that first meeting, there were probably 15 people, even though, I think our core team ended up being about four or five.
0: I was gonna say maybe six, but yeah,
1: six six on a good day when the there f- <laughs> were no sports going on.
0: <laughs> the first year, first year we competed at a state tournament, we took six. That's why it was that number. Okay, I have a picture of the six.
1: Nice. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I I could probably I know it was uh, me, Elora, Andrew, yep. Josh, Tim and Toby. Tim and Toby. Oh, oh my Tim gosh, for sure. I, I
0: how could you forget about
1: Toby? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was the original group, and I, I do remember that. I remember not being particularly good, or particularly <laughs> m- meritorious. <laughs>
0: so, which event did you start
1: with? I started with Lincoln Douglas debate.
0: LD debate.
1: LD debate. I really stuck it out with that one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I didn't shift. I didn't change. It was all on my own, which was kind of nice. You both are not worried about another person messing you up, and you also do not live with the fear of other people's expectations. (laughs) It's all on you, and you can guarantee that whatever came out of that, you take personal accountability for the results of whatever happened.
0: Right, and so Lincoln-Douglas debate, for those who don't know, this is your one-on-one debate. The topics are more philosophical, morality-based, values. The topics change every two months, and so they might be something like civil disobedience. The next time it might be on human rights. Uh, Do you remember any topics specifically that ever stood out to you or you remember There's
1: one that I think about all the time, and it was actually the topic my senior year when I finally made it to nationals, and it was if human rights could be universal human rights should be prioritized over national interest nah. and how you dealt with the balance of that i mean you had to argue in a realm of absolutes but the reality as um, I actually study something in this vein is much more of a middle ground that you have to do both even though national interest will almost always come first but um, it's a little bit of both, but it, it still is something that I think about a lot.
0: Yeah. How cool is that? That like your senior year final debate topic like directly transitions to what you're doing now
1: it in your life. It's super odd right? because there were certainly some like I never, almost never think about capital punishment. Like <laughs> it's like the state of Delaware, like maybe once every seven sure, or eight sure. months. <laughs> but uh, no, my, but my nationals topic is something that I think about probably closer to. Couple times a week, really, yeah. Certainly when I'm in school. Yeah, and that's it's,
0: because it sticks with you. Like I remember, I still have like my, my <laughs> HI memorized in my head, my humorous interp, and Oh, there's yeah. a lot. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I, just... I didn't do the memorization ones. No, no speech I'm... for me. I did. I did do. Oh, you did. That's right. I did do international extemporaneous speaking for yeah. speech, which is basically imagine a bunch of teenagers with Tupperware boxes larger than mm. they are filled with papers and you go pull three topics out of a hat i did the international version so they were international topics and you have to create and memorize a 10-minute speech in 30 minutes no notes allowed please cite your sources right so that was super helpful in terms of like forming something quickly but also i don't know if i'd ever known that much about the world at any given moment and um, that variety of topics even now i probably know about an equal amount but it just goes to show that you could really never know it all, and it's all going to change because everything I knew then is no longer, right, no longer valid. <laughs> I would need entirely new Tupperware boxes.
0: <laughs> well, two thoughts on that. First, it's funny how, like, how we answer questions and the types of questions they haven't changed for years, except ever since 2016, the new presidential election. That has like changed extemp entirely. And it's changed, especially an international oh, extent. Now? Well, well it's, it's hip. It's cool. But it's also like how you answer questions is hard.
1: It was certainly not hip it. <laughs> no, I was it definitely wasn't. It.
0: But you used to be able to like answer those international politics questions with some degree of like, you know what to expect. You know how the State Department is going to react to an international crisis. Now we have no clue. We don't really have much of a State Department in the United States. And it's like, a skeleton staff, and we don't know what the response is going to be. So it's been interesting to see how like extemp has changed with the new administration.
1: That's super it's, interesting. It's I crazy. wonder if extempers would have an easier time of it, looking at like functioning organs of non-governmental organizations or overreaching ones like World Bank. Right. I'd go World Bank.
0: Right. For sure.
1: <laughs> or International Monetary Fund or something like that. Right. That would be a smarter tactic. But even even though less volatile.
0: even <laughs> even though some of those are like. Like their credibility is threatened, right? Like, especially like the WTO. Like, Trump saying yeah. like we're not gonna be a part of the WTO and we're not gonna pay our dues and like we reject the authority of the WTO.
1: That's the thing about the WTO is that you can talk a big talk, but the United States hasn't left the WTO and they're still making all of their agreements within WTO rules for the most part. Right. Like you can not want to listen, but if you're the only one who wants to play your own game and everyone else is playing another game. Right. Uh, it's a complicated one, but...
0: <laughs> the other old school thing you mentioned is the Tupperware tubs. Tupperware tubs. We got rid of those. I don't know oh, if you know that. I know. Yeah. Everyone's
1: got iPads. That probably definitely helped the hip factor. <laughs> of ex-tem.
0: So before, you could have files, but they had to be printed and they had to be filed in these big totes. So debaters and extempers, you could spot them at tournaments because they are toting around these huge Tupperware bins full of papers. And... This was well into the 2000s, so computers were a thing.
1: I mean, I graduated in 2011. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of it is, and here's one of the things that I don't get. How do they ensure that you're not, you're not allowed to use Wi-Fi? How do they ensure that you're not using Wi-Fi on the iPad? Do so, they put in blockers?
0: So what people do in the extemporaneous prep room, the staff walk around and make sure that no one's, like, surfing the Internet during that time. So that's how they've been doing it for the past few years. But guess what? New pilot rule change starting next year. They're going to start just allowing internet. Uh,
1: no. <laughs> I know. I know. No, thank you. I, I, that seems like you've taken a majority of the difficulty out of it because part of it is preparedness. Right. And now you've eliminated that fact. Oh, that makes me so mad. Right.
0: So an old school person like you would think that. But here's what I think. (laughs) I think... Sorry, you're new school. I forgot. (laughs) I think the people who are still, the extempers, the speakers, who are still the most researched are going to do the best. And so if you didn't do any research and you just wait to get to the prep room and you're doing a Google search on Zimbabwe for the first time in that 30 minutes, I don't think you're going to do as well as someone who has already done the research and is pretty well-prepared
1: to an extent but I think that it also discourages like a a constant interplay with news sites and looking Mm. at them all the time and an understanding of general themes and I think that if you are allowed to use internet you are more likely to just take other people's ideas rather than generate your own because Mm. if you were looking at the news independently every day you start to recognize patterns and like draw conclusions and overarching themes and ways of understanding something. But if I had the ability to look something up just immediately, I don't know if I would notice those things as much or if I would just take what someone else had said. Right. And applied that when like a majority of international relations in general works in like, these huge circles and themes, and you can draw parallels to other things. And I think that you're probably missing out on a lot of parallels that can be drawn because we do see things repeat themselves historically and sort of concurrently within international relations that I think that, in my opinion, this like. might be an opportunity loss, but I'd be curious to see how it works.
0: Yeah, that's. I like your perspective. That's good. So you did extemp. you did LD... Do you have a favorite specific memory? Is there anything that stands out from your speech in debate Bay time?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I only cried once. No,
0: <laughs> that can't be true. Only once.
1: Uh, no, I, I certainly <laughs> cried a lot of times, but I happy cried once. And happy um, yeah, just... I think that there there's one memory that sticks out for me because it was particularly impactful and it was a way for me to learn how to like manage my mental stuff. Uh, It it was my version of tennis, like 90% of mental game. But um, it was when I was doing the national qualifying tournament my senior year, I just really wanted to make it. They had something called the curse of state with an LD. So the person who wins state will never be the one that goes to nationals. I had already lost state. So I figured, okay, I didn't break the curse, but (laughs) this is going to happen for me. And it's a double elimination tournament, this tournament. So you can lose one time, but if you lose a second time, you're out. It's right. over. And unfortunately, the time I chose to lose was my absolute first round. Right. To <laughs> someone that I didn't quite expect to lose to, I was very upset. Um, I remember talking with you afterwards and you were giving me the get your head in the game speech, and I just wasn't having it. And I remember driving home that night and crying with the music really loud. And um, you said, maybe it's good to just get your first loss out early, which I don't think had any truth to it. <laughs> I think you were trying to be comforting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and um, I knew that I, I, I couldn't lose again, which sounds so silly, and I couldn't lose again, but... At the time, like the stakes were super high. It was something that I'd really been working towards and feeling that pressure. But I think that that night something sort of clicked for me because in the past I'd always sort of been my own greatest enemy in terms of letting myself shut down when something wasn't going my way. And that night I was like, well, what are you going to do? And I managed to sort of pull it through. And so I guess the, the, the best memory of that was wondering if I'd won my last debate round in the finals that would determine who would go to nationals and you pulling me aside and telling me that it was going to be me and having a good cry Yeah, <laughs> behind a building at Albuquerque Academy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Happy cry that time after my sad cry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to put that more into perspective, and this is something we still talk about. So other coaches like Margot from Los Alamos, she still uses the Aaron Bush example <laughs> with her own kids to kind of like, Talk them out of like any funk they get in. So it's pretty cool that you're you've got this legacy. But yeah, so at the national qualifiers, as you said, double elimination. You can't afford to lose two. You can only lose one. Mm-hmm. If you lose two, you're out. And round one, Erin loses the first one. So she's only she's Did hanging on badly? by a thread. I don't
1: remember.
0: I don't remember if you lost badly or not. it doesn't really matter if it's badly <laughs> or goodly. Like a loss is a loss, a win is a win. But then you went on to win six in a row
1: six rounds, which is crazy. I don't know if I've ever done that before. No,
0: that's insane, no one can do that. So to bounce back from winning the very first round and then win, losing the first round, winning six a row is incredible. And that's something we like to tell students because this is a unique tournament where students know how they're doing as you're going. Like usually you don't know if you're winning or losing, but at that tournament it's announced every round. Are you down, are you out, are you still in? and Aaron's ability to come back was like, it's legendary. It's amazing. (laughs) And I still remember like finding out that you won. And I was on the other side of a glass door looking in and seeing you and you were kind of looking at me through the glass door. And that's where I found out like that you had won and it was going to, you were going to go to nationals. It was a good cry. It was a good time.
1: Uh, I just, I don't know. I, it sort of felt like it would be nice if I made it, but the, the poetry in this is that I'm going to make it all the way to the end and then lose. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I will say that the person that I ended up beating for that last round, she was someone who before had certainly given me a run for my money and she was very good, which is part of what made me so nervous. Do you remember who that was? Isabel Slater. Isabel Slater from Ta- Taos? She's from Taos.
0: Taos, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Do you remember, who was the name of the... Person who beat you round one. Do you remember that? I remember her face. Remember it starts with face?
1: an M. Let me think. <gasps> Maria, Maria? Maria Maro. Maro. Maria Maro.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how these names come back to us. I wonder what Maria's up to. Probably
1: break and debate hearts everywhere. <laughs> first <Right>. round.
0: <laughs> so that's kind of like a good example of like success and like a, f- a happy memory. Is there a time you remember just getting, you kind of describe like your first year feeling okay. like you're getting destroyed is there a, a moment or a round you specifically remember where you suffered a pretty big defeat or
1: there's two there's two one's okay. like really embarrassing and no both are kind of embarrassing okay so the first one is it's really confusing so so when you're assigned a debate side you will be assigned affirmative or negative right however some resolutions like some of the things you debate are inherently negative or are, are negative. So it'll be like something it's phrased like, in a negative way. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm affirmative, which means I am for this, but you will be for the negative. Right, right, right. And I got up there and certainly read the wrong case. Oh, gosh. And <laughs> I think it was my first year. It was either my first or second tournament. It was a mistake I only made once, it was very embarrassing. I had no case. I knew I was coming out of that losing, but I was certainly more careful after (laughs) that. And um, the other one was, this was when I was sort of in the upswing. And I remember this because I must have just not been very good because I remember you coming to me, Trey and (laughs) saying, look, you won like a third of these. You're doing pretty well. (laughs) You won half this time. You're doing pretty well. This isn't so bad. And, Oh, looking back at it, I'm like, you were winning at a rate of 50% and that was you doing really well those first couple of years? I mean, I guess that was one of the things I liked most about debate was I also played soccer. And in soccer, there were just limitations. Like, I could practice as many hours as I wanted to in a day and I would never be the best soccer player. Like, I... If anyone watches women's soccer i would never be like mia ham <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna get that reference mia ham's pretty popular I, w- I was never gonna be me a ham and no sure. amount of practicing was going to make me her because there are limitations within that and sort of conversely the thing that i liked about debate was whatever i put into it was exactly what i got out of it like if i wanted to spend the time practicing and sort of refining my cases and thinking about what people could ask me during cross examination or what I could ask them and the best way to beat someone. That was going to make me measurably better. Right. And I would continue to get better the more time I put into it. There was no limitation that made me conceivably not able to be the best. Yeah. Which was sort of interesting I, because you could always improve within it and you could always see the results of that improvement quickly.
0: Right, right. And that's, that's a lesson I think you reflected on that kind of like at the end of your senior year, maybe in like your senior exhibition or something. I don't know, I remember mm-hmm. you saying that and that's always stuck out to me and I've always used that as kind of a line with
1: the new debaters once, once they get started. Someone who wants to play basketball instead. <laughs>
0: no, you can do both. We had great athletes and debaters. Eric Aradon, fastest runner we've ever had. One of the best ld years we've ever had, right? Shout out to Eric. Uh, who else, that Ray Demarest state champion and humorous interp and star baseball, baseball player, player. right mm-hmm. so it can happen His sister
1: was a softball player
0: and she was very good yes she was yes good memory Rene. renea but i think but i think what you're saying is that's the difference between other activities and ours is that there is a way to see that improvement the work you put into it is what you get out of it i want to like bring this to a close some life lessons out of debate feels like that's probably a pretty good one there right Like. Is that something you can apply to what you're doing now? And
1: Sure. I mean, I guess it's that in terms of like intellectual capacity, you will get out exactly what you put into it. And I think like as sort of a larger theme, like one of the things the debate did for me was like inspire a curiosity that I didn't necessarily have before. A curiosity for quite literally everything because I never got to choose a topic myself. So it could have been about anything, but also it's just made me want to know more about everything. Like yesterday, my mom was giving me a weird look because I was reading all about the Anabaptists on our drive up to Santa Fe. <laughs> like <laughs> Mennonites and the Amish people and nice. like lesser known groups. But I was I was just very curious. And she's like, why do you care? Well, I care because this exists in the world and I don't know anything about it. Right. And yeah. that's sort of what debate was for me was... These issues existed in the world, and I didn't know anything about them. And if I just spent a little time on it, I could know a lot about them and actually form an opinion about them. And I could use that opinion to persuade people or keep that opinion to myself and just know what I thought about something. Especially because speech and debate happens in like a pivotal high school time. High school is the time when you are transitioning from holding your parents' opinions to formulating your own and it was incredibly influential in how i wanted to formulate my own personal opinions how i wanted to build them and also gave me the ability to have my opinions be sort of researched and thought out and more considerate of different like uh, maxims than other people's might be
0: bam i want to leave it right there cuz <laughs> okay. that was that was well put that was eloquent as always, Aaron Bush.
1: Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks
0: for having me. It's been great. And enjoy your flight back to Paris.
1: Uh, I will. It's bon gonna be Bon voyage and really au revoir. Yeah, I'm really missing cheese. All cheese here has just been ash in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye in Turkish, not uh, French. Like see you later. Goodbye? Yeah. yeah.
0: Gadusha What gadusha doosh? Gadusha
1: Ooh. No, it's kind of like we'll see you later. I'll go back to Orvill. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Aaron. Bye.
0: A few notes on how to connect with us before wrapping up. First, share your story on our Anchor account. Either download the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm/theSoapboxPod and press record voice message. Anchor is this great new tool that's going to allow us to connect with people from anywhere and everywhere. Second, we want you to check out our Patreon account. Visit patreon.com slash thesoapboxpod to find out how you can support our mission of spreading these amazing stories and growing the activity of speech and debate. Finally, connect with us at all the socials, facebook.com slash thesoapboxpod. Also connect with us on Twitter. And I'm excited to connect with each and every one of you. This project is truly about something bigger than me or any one person. So please, please take the time to share your story. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to our journey as this show progresses.